Amen. There is no God like Jehovah. I thought I was fixing to jump out of my skin. I was, I mean, I, I should have just been dancing and praising because that's what I felt like doing. There is no God like Jehovah. Wow. That's the God we serve. There's no God like him. There is no God but him who was and is and is to come. Man, I hope you're looking forward to that. That's why we're here. We, uh, we look forward to the day when Jesus returns to take his bride, which is the church, to be with him forever. Hebrews chapter 11, we're, um, we're still there. We've still got a little ways to go. Today we want to talk about Moses. We're going to look at Moses. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you here this morning love How many of you here this morning love to suffer? Anybody? Anybody love to suffer? Anybody choose to suffer? Who would ever choose that? Why would anyone ever choose that? Well, you might. You might actually choose that. Many people choose to suffer every day. You stop and think about it. People run marathons. You see those people that have a little sticker that says 26.2 in the back of their van or maybe 13.1, it's a half marathon. I don't like those people. You know, they run and they just, you know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but people choose to do that. They actually choose to do, to run a marathon. Anybody ever go to the gym and lift weights? I mean, that's not easy. It's not fun. You put your, your body through, you know, things that make you sore the next day. Something, you know, we, we actually do choose that. Anybody have children? <laughs> we, we do that. We intentionally do things sometimes that cause us to suffer. That brings us to Moses. Moses was a man who chose to suffer. Now, right before Moses, we spoke ever so briefly about Joseph. Um, Joseph was second in command in Egypt. Uh, God had used him uh, to save many, many lives uh, during the famine that came about. He uh, allowed him to interpret a dream and, and said there's going to be uh, years of feast and there's going to be years of famine. God used him in a, in a powerful way. Uh, there at the end of his life, he was reunited with his brothers and also with his father, Jacob, whose name had been changed to Israel. And at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph dies. Joseph dies. And then at the beginning of the book of Exodus, chapter 1, we read this. Beginning in, in verse 6, now Joseph and all his brothers, and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful, and they multiplied, multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous, so that the land was filled with them. Now look at verse 8. Then a new king 
who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. There arose a king who did not know about Joseph. And so now the Israelites are going to start to experience a lot of oppression. They're going to be slaves because a king is now in a position where he doesn't remember Joseph. He doesn't know about this, this Hebrew who saved all of these people's lives, even those lives of the Egyptians. He doesn't know anything about it, doesn't care anything about that past. And so now the Israelites are becoming numerous and they're being enslaved. Pick up in verse 15 of Exodus chapter 1. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, he said, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a, is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. Um, I, I find that a little humorous, don't you? Uh, we, we're going to do what the king said, but the Hebrew women are just, they're healthy and they're vigorous, and they give birth before we can even get there. So we can't really do anything about it. But the reason they did that was because they feared God and not the king. One of those babies that was born that the midwives didn't get around to was Moses. His mother tried to hide him for several months. Have you ever tried to hide a baby? Even this morning as I'm, as I'm preaching, uh, there, there are rumblings and noises of little ones. I love it. Babies are hard to hide. In church, you know, we feed them goldfish and, and Cheerios and, and all kinds of things to try, to try to keep them. It's hard to hide a baby for very long. But his mother tried to do that. Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. She became pregnant. She gave birth to a son. This is Moses' mother. When she saw that he was a fine child, your version may say he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She, um, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. 
Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. It's mentioned in the book of Acts, chapter 7, Stephen said that Moses was no ordinary child. Stephen then sort of lays out a, um, a Reader's Digest version of really kind of the whole history of the Jews, and then they stone him to death. So our text here in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, really tells the story uh, very succinctly. The story of a man who deliberately chose to suffer. And then we see how God molded him, molded this man named Moses into the greatest leader uh, that the Jewish nation had ever known. Hebrews chapter 11, let's look at our text again this morning. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 23, the word of the Lord. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, when Moses, Moses when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians, Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Moses lived 120 years. Deuteronomy 34 says that Moses was 120 years old when he died. Most scholars divide up Moses' life into three equal parts, 40 years each. I love it. I love symmetry, um, and this works out beautifully. The first 40 years of Moses' life, he was groomed. He was educated in the most advanced culture of his day in Egypt. The second 40 years of his life, uh, he's really off the grid. He goes to Midian, and he is a shepherd. And then at 80 years of age, you know, life for Moses really begins at 80. 80 is like the new 40, okay? Uh, life began at 80 years of age. He enters into a successful ministry, and he leads the children of Israel out of slavery. It's been said that Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. The next 40 years thinking that he was a nobody. And then the last 40 years 
realizing just what God can do with a nobody. So this morning, we need to understand what Moses had and see all that he gave up. Let's think about Moses' status just for a moment. Here in verse 23 of our text, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. He was no ordinary child. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, when he had grown up, physically, the Bible says that Moses was a fine child. He was a beautiful child. He was no ordinary child. Who wrote the book of Exodus? Do you remember? Was it Moses? <laughs> I just wanted people to realize just what a, a cute baby I was, you know. I just kind of find that interesting. Moses wrote this. Uh, he was no ordinary child. But the Holy Spirit was involved in that too, you understand. The historian Josephus tells us that Moses uh, was physically like no other child, no other man. He was beautiful. He was handsome. Josephus said that when they would carry Moses, you can kind of picture four guys, you know, carrying him down the road and he's sitting in a chair. They said that the Egyptians, when they saw him, they would have to do a double take and they would just stop what they were doing and watch him as, as he went by. He was that beautiful. Now, Josephus was a Jewish historian, so he, he may be kind of stretching things a little bit, putting Moses in a good light. I don't know. But that's what Josephus said, that he was handsome. He was tall, an amazing physical specimen. Think about his status educationally. Back to Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Stephen says that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was raised in the royal court, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses had access to the best education that money could buy. Think about the best Ivy League school that you can think of in your mind, the most elite, prestigious. Moses had that. Moses had access to that. Think about his status positionally. Again, Acts chapter 7, Stephen says that he was powerful in speech and action. Some translations say he was mighty in words and deeds. What does that say about Moses? Moses was a powerful leader, an excellent communicator. Now, when you first read Exodus, you don't get that picture, do you? Moses says to the Lord, God calls him in a burning bush. He goes over, he's just a shepherd out in Midian. He sees the bush on fire and it doesn't burn up. And he goes and he sees what's going on. And God speaks to him from that bush. And Moses, he says, I'm going to use you. I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses, you remember what he says? Oh, I... I'm, I'm not a good speaker. I'm slow in tongue, slow of speech. I, I'm not, I'm not quick-witted. I'm, I'm not a fast thinker on my feet. 
We don't get a picture of Moses being strong and powerful in, in words and deeds. But that's Moses in Midian. He's been out there for 40 years as a shepherd. I think he's lost his confidence out off the grid. But that's not who Moses was really deep down. Moses was mighty in words and deeds. Think about his status financially. Verse 26 of our text, Hebrews 11, verse 26 says, he disregarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. The treasures of Egypt. Just imagine the wealth that he had access to. You know, um, when they when they discovered King Tut's tomb, uh, King Tut lived about 100 years or so after Moses, so it's, it's kind of the same time period here. They said it took nine months, nine months when they unsealed his tomb to carry out and see all of the stuff uh, that was contained in King Tut's tomb. And inside his tomb, uh, they said that there were something like uh, 9,000 pounds, several thousand pounds of pure gold buried in King Tut's tomb. Now, if you're the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, you have access to the kind of money that people can only dream about. I mean, you would never stop and think, well, how much does that cost? You know, I've, I've lived most of my life that way, you know. Most of my life, when I look at something, um, I think, oh, that's really neat. How much does that cost? Because that depends on whether I can get it or not. The first car I bought, I had to stop and ask, how much is the insurance going to be? Because I think I can afford the payment, but... I'm not sure about payment and insurance, right? Moses never had to do that. Moses would have never had to stop and say, well, how much does that cost? Because money's no object to him. He could do anything and have anything that he wanted. Think about his status relationally. Back to verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, according to Josephus again, the Pharaoh, the king at the time, had no sons. He only had daughters. So guess what that makes Moses? Second in line. Actually, second in command. First in line for the throne. Moses was the prince of Egypt. He, he, was, he was set to become king, to become the new Pharaoh. All of this was the status that Moses had. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, the Bible tells us that that's when he was 40 years old. Moses, when he was 40 years old, he goes out to see his own people. Now, Moses knew that he was a Hebrew. We're, we're, we're not told exactly how he knows that. I'm not sure how old he was when his mother took him 
because she got to raise him, she got to nurse him, she got to raise him for a period of time before she takes him back to Pharaoh's daughter. So surely she's told her son, possibly Pharaoh's daughter has also said how much that she loved him and that she adopted him, that he was a Hebrew. And, you know, as it is with most folks who, are, who have been adopted, there comes a time when they, when they want to kind of know where they're from or they want to find uh, their parents. They want to know if, there's, if they have any siblings. For whatever reason, Moses goes out to see his own people. He knew that he was a Hebrew. And he made a choice to identify with them when he killed the Egyptian. You remember the story. He goes out and he sees an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrews. And Moses, he looks side to side. He looks around. No, he doesn't see anybody. And he kills the Egyptian. It was that moment that Moses made a choice to identify with the Hebrews. It was not an easy choice. The easiest choice would have been to do nothing. Would have been to just do nothing. I, I don't want to get involved. I mean, I've got all of this at my... I'm second in line. I'm set to be the new king of Egypt. You know, I'm just going to turn a blind eye. I'm just not going to get involved. That would have been the easy choice. But that's not the choice that he made. It's been said, you make your choices, and then your choices make you. You make your choices, and then your choices make you. Choice is one of the greatest privileges we have, and it's one of the weightiest responsibilities that we have. For 40 years, Moses had been the prince of Egypt. He had enjoyed the wealth of Egypt. I mean, he ran with the elite, the powerful, the educated. He enjoyed all the perks afforded him by the royal court. And now he's giving it all up. He's refusing to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What? What do you mean you refuse to be known as a son of Pharaoh? What do you mean you're giving it all up? You have it all. I mean, the world is at your feet. The world is your oyster. Nope. I'm giving it all up. Why are you giving it up? See, that's, that's the question. And that's a good question for us this morning. Moses, why are you giving this up? Usually when someone says no to something, it's because they want to say yes to something else, right? The reason we say no to this is because we want to say yes to this. And it's because we think this is a better choice than that. Usually we do that when it comes to a job. This is a better job. This is a better uh, paycheck. This is a better location. This job has better benefits. Sometimes uh, someone asks you, 
after church, do you have lunch plans? And you say, well, well, what are you having? And they say, well, we're having broccoli and a vegetable platter. And I say, hmm, let me think about that. And then someone says, um, do you have lunch plans? And I say, well, where are you going? And they say, we're thinking about Texas Roadhouse. So I go back over here and I say, oh, I'm so sorry. I think I've already got plans. My wife has already committed me. I'm so sorry. I would love to, but I'm, you know. Usually we say no to this because we think this is better. That's the reason we say no to one thing and yes to something else. Verse 25. Moses. Let me put my glasses on. Verse 25. He chose. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. He chose to suffer. I mean, let's just stop right there. I'm saying no to all the wealth, all the prestige, all the perks of Egypt, and my choice is suffering. My choice is to suffer with the people of God. We know the story. Moses goes to Midian. He spends 40 years as a shepherd. He's off the grid. He's away from Egypt. God calls him from the burning bush. He returns to Egypt. Let my people go. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. I don't have to tell you guys that sin is pleasurable, right? There's pleasure in sin. If there, were, if there weren't, people wouldn't be doing it. You wouldn't be tempted to do it. There is pleasure in sin for a season. For a short time. It's a momentary gratification, sowing a lifetime and eternity of pain. Moses said no to that. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He, reg- he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Moses chose this. He was not forced into it. You know, we talked about Joseph. So many things happened to Joseph in his life that were forced upon him. His brothers sold him into slavery. Didn't ask for that. Um, You know, Potiphar, the whole situation with his wife, thrown into jail. He didn't want that. He didn't ask for that. Moses chooses to suffer. He didn't have to. It was not forced upon him. How is that possible? How could Moses choose that? Only, only by faith. 
only by faith. Some of you here this morning know this choice. You actually do. You, you care for, for aging parents. You, you take them into your home. You love them. You care for them. You do for them. Some of you have been dealing with a special needs child, and you love them day after day after day, and things are the same day after day after day. And you love and you do and you care and you have compassion, not because you're forced to, but because you choose to. Because that's what God would desire for you. You actually choose to suffer. And sometimes the hardest choice turns out to be the best choice. The secret to all of this, how, how could Moses do this? How can you do that? How can you care and love and have compassion and choose to suffer? The secret to all of it is vision. It's vision. Verse 26 says that Moses was looking ahead to his reward. Moses was looking ahead to his reward. It says that he did this for the sake of Christ. Now, it kind of blows your mind when you think about it because I don't think Moses knew a whole lot about what we know as Jesus Christ, but he knew the promises of God, right? He knew that the promise had been made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and he was a part of that promise. So the Hebrew writer can look back and say with confidence that Moses could see Jesus. He was looking ahead to his reward. He saw a payoff. Notice that he was looking ahead. The payoff wasn't here. The payoff wasn't now in this life, but it was something that was going to happen in the future. Moses had vision. Look at verse 27. I, this, I love this verse. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered. That's a, that's, a, that's a good word. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He saw the eternal reward over the temporary struggle. Somehow, in Moses' mind, in his heart, his faith was able to see that which you cannot see. He saw him who is invisible. Faith is what enables you to have the vision to endure anything because you know that this is not all there is. There's something bigger. There's something better. There's something more that God has in store for us. From a worldly viewpoint, from a worldly viewpoint, Moses sacrificed everything and got nothing. He gave away everything that he had, wealth, riches, power, prestige. He gave up everything, and he got nothing in return. From a spiritual viewpoint, Moses gave up everything 
in order to get more. More of something that actually will last. Something that will last for eternity. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing. In another passage, Paul calls them light and momentary troubles. A guy, a guy that knew what it was like to be stoned, ship, uh, physically stoned, you know what I'm saying, That's throwing stones at, he was stoned, uh, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was left for dead, he was in prison time and time again. And that guy says that that's just light and momentary. I don't consider that worth even talking about compared to what God has in store for us. Now Moses, there's, there's way more we could, we could say about him. His name is mentioned 852 times in the Bible. I read the Bible all yesterday and I counted 852 times. No, I didn't read. I, didn't, I did read three chapters though. I'm, I'm reading three a day. Um, 852 times Moses is mentioned in the Bible. Deuteronomy says there's no greater prophet before him or since him. We'll throw Jesus in there. But at the time, no greater prophet ever than Moses. God used him in such a mighty and powerful way. All because Moses made the choice by faith to follow God. It says, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. You know what my reading was this morning? The three chapters that I'm supposed to read today in the reading was about the Passover and sprinkling of the blood on the lintel on the doorpost. I, I could not have timed it out any better. Um, the daily reading that's in your bulletin is what I read this morning. By faith, Moses was allowed to do that. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. God used Moses in powerful and mighty ways to lead his children out of slavery. In the New Testament, Jesus often called people to make difficult choices. Matthew 16, if anyone who wishes to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Luke chapter 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things you're worried about, all of this other stuff, God will give to you. He'll add that to you as well. My uh, favorite poet when I was younger, and I guess has maybe remained to this day, 
a man by the name of Robert Frost. Some of you know his poem, The Road Not Taken. Frost said it like this, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim, for it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Though knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Jesus said it like this, enter through the narrow gate, for broad is the gate and wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Are you one of the few? Have you entered through the narrow gate? Have you found it? Have you made the choice to follow Jesus? Some of you have been coming to church for years because your wife comes, maybe because your husband, and you're just kind of been tagging along. You need to make the choice today to follow Jesus. Some of you have made that choice, but you're not living it. You just... When you, when you look in the mirror, you know deep down inside you're not really living the life. Today, you need to make the choice. It's a road that very few people take. But if you make the choice to follow Jesus, nothing you give up in this life will compare with what he has in store for you. Do you believe that?